Let's bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you this Sabbath. We pray that what we do and what we what we say this Sabbath would be pleasing to you. We pray this message would be honoring to you. We pr- pray more than anything that our lives would be favored from you and that we would certainly live life worthy of your calling. Father, we thank you for the recent feast. We pray that your blessings would be upon all those here and upon this ministry as we strive to do your will. And we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. You all may be seated. It is uh, certainly good to see everybody here. First time I think I've been up here since Tabernacles, and, and uh, you know, it was a great feast. Lots of people all throughout the world and, and uh, many people throughout states and just, uh, just a phenomenal time. Where today, I want to review the life and the lessons of a man named Joshua, the son of Nun. You know, in many ways, I believe this, this man is overlooked, maybe even overshadowed through Moses in some ways. But we know that Joshua was a man of strength. He was a man of courage. He was a man of integrity and really proved, I believe, to be one of the greatest leaders in the, for the nation of Israel. And as we'll see, he was mentored by Moses, and he led the Israelites into the Promised Land, into Canaan. So a very uh, trying time, and yet I think he really succeeded greatly. He was also a type of the Messiah, Yahshua. Now, one of the most important truths, I believe, about this man is his name. And as we see in Numbers uh, 13, beginning in verse 16, it says, uh, there it talks about his name. So, Numbers 13 says, these are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy the land. And Moses called Oshia, the son of Nun, Joshua. So we see here, prior to him having the name Joshua, he was called by Hoshea or Hoshea. Now Strong's defines this name, Hoshea's deliverer. Brown Driver Briggs defines this as salvation. You know, knowing who Joshua was, what he accomplished, I believe that this is uh, certainly appropriate for this man, that he certainly in his own way brought salvation, brought the people of Israel into uh, Canaan. He delivered them the land of Canaan. So we see certainly a promise behind this name. Now we see here him receiving a new name, and this is Joshua. Now according to Strong's, Joshua is a a contraction with Yahweh and Yasha. And Yasha in Hebrew means salvation. So literally, the name Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. Now, according to most scholars, this was also the name of the Messiah given by the angel Gabriel, that it was Yahshua. You know, he re- I wanted to share this with you. The, here recently, I've been doing some study on some Akkadian tablets, and I want to share just a little bit of information with you. It's very um, intriguing from my standpoint. These uh, tablets are essentially business records that date back between uh, 572 and 477 BCE, so very old uh, tablets. You know, what's amazing about these tablets is that they record many Jewish names uh, right after the uh, time of the Babylonian exile. Now, remarkably, what I find really intriguing about this is that many of the names 
Jewish names begin with Yah and Yahu, depending on the name and the spelling. I've actually contacted a professors. I've spoken to professors from Berkeley, Cambridge, Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And according to these professors, uh, who are not only experts in Akkadian, some also in the Hebrew language. For, for instance, uh, Ranza Dock is a professor from the Hebrew University, and I corresponded with him via email. But So they're all experts in Akkadian or Hebrew, and the scholarly consensus, as I asked, I said, is this the scholarly consensus for Yah, or Yahu, uh, with a U? And uh, they said yes. The uh, consensus is based on the Akkadian and based on what we understand with Akkadian, and, and they do know vowels and they can read Akkadian. This is the consensus amongst scholarship. So, again, it's a real interesting. Matter of fact, here's a, uh, an example of some names that's been found. Say, so got Yah Adel, Yah Itu, Yah Muzu, Yahu Azur, Yahu Aza, and Yahu Hen. So, all these names are found in these old, very old Akkadian tablets showing the theophoric element of Yah within the prefixes of these Jewish names. Matter of fact, I was listening to a course. I don't know if you've, you're familiar with the great courses, but uh, they, they have a plethora of different topics. But anyway, the uh, professor there, he was a professor, forget his name, but this is a course on Judaism, and he's talking about the history of Judaism, and he's from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And he actually references these documents and mentions the fact that the theophoric element is found within these names. Now, for me, what's also intriguing is the fact that we see a shift, seem to see a shift between this time and the time of the Masoretes. Now, the Masoretes were uh, Jewish scribes, uh, generally dating to the 6th and 10th centuries BC, uh, CE, I should say. And uh, during this time, we see a shift from Yah to Yeh. And uh, I, f- I find that intriguing especially knowing that Joshua probably had Yahweh's name within his own based on these Akkadian tablets. So again, Joshua, the son of Nun, had Yahshua, something very close to it, meaning again Yahweh is salvation. So this change from Hoshea to Yahshua is really important, I believe, to understand. Now we also know from Scripture that names have meaning, and for the Hebrew people this was very important. It's very important to understand the names of these. Matter of fact, I'm not going to do this today, but you can look at names, like uh, the story of Ruth, for instance, and all the different names, and, and uh, you can almost build a story just on the meaning of the names, if you understand the meaning and uh, the, the implication there. So names have meaning, and I believe it's important to realize and understand that Joshua was renamed from Hoshea, meaning salvation, to Joshua, meaning Yahweh is Salvation. Yes, it reminds me a little bit like Abraham. You know, Abraham went from Abram to Abraham, uh, exalted father to now father of a multitude. So uh, certainly from a uh, scriptural uh, uh, importance, this is uh, essential to understand. Now, what do we know about Joshua in his early years? What does scripture provide about this man during this time? You know, as a young man, he, we know that he was mentored by Moses. He was uh, mentored by this man, this great man known as Moses. We see, we see this in Numbers 11. So Numbers 11, verse 28, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men. 
You know, by a show of hands, how many here realized from a young man, from a young age, did, was, was Joshua mentored by Moses? How many realize we're good? We have a few in here that realizes that he was with Moses. He was mentored with Moses, even from a very young, young man. You know, it's important to realize this fact, this man, Joshua, that he had this mentor and this upbringing through Moses. You know, as a reminder, the Bible says that Moses was more meek, was more meek than any other man. You know, it's amazing how certain people in the Bible bring different strengths. They bring different talents and skill sets. Or Moses which is probably the most important figure, I, I think, from an Old Testament standpoint. I would, you know, maybe Abraham might be up there. But certainly he's one of the most important figures we find within the Old Testament. And as we see here, Scripture shows that he was known and set apart by his humility. You know, he wasn't a great communicator. We know that. When Yahweh came to Moses and tried to convince Moses, here's what I want you to do. Moses was very hesitant, and he said he was not smooth in speech. It's not something he wanted to do. You know, I'm sure he lacked many of the attributes of what we would consider to be a strong leader. But again, the one thing he excelled at, the one thing he really understood, is meekness, was humility. You know, normally humility isn't considered much of a strength. You know, it's not especially when we're talking about leadership. But we know that our Father in heaven, that he highly favors humility. He wants us to have humility. He wants us to be meek. You know, have you ever thought about why humility, why this attribute is so important to our Father in heaven? Why does Yahweh value humility in such a big way? Well, it's real simple. Without humility, a person is unable or incapable of changing, bending to his will. You know, Yahweh wants somebody, he wants a group of people who are willing to follow him, who are willing to comply to his word, who are willing to forsake all if it means this is the way he says to go. And we know that Moses was that man. We know that Moses, again, was humbled and meek in his approach. You know, at times, I believe that Joshua could be a bit rash. He could be a bit quick in his response. So in this way, I'm sure that Moses helped mold this man shape this man into something better than who he was. Now, even though the Bible doesn't talk a lot about Joshua, we again know that he did some incredible things. He really did some amazing things. I want to share with you one example in Numbers 13. Numbers 13, 17 through 20 says, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way southward, And go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is. And the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. They wanted to realize and understand what they were facing here. And what the land is, whether it is fat or lean, whether there is wood therein or not. And be you of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. 
So we see here the account of Moses. He sends out these ten men to spy out the land of Canaan. You know, he needed to know, again, who was in the land. What kind of defense were they facing? And whether the land was fertile, what was the agriculture like? Whereas we see from the story, and as we know from the story, I'm not going to read all of it to you, but, but I think we all know the story. The people who dwelt on the land, they were, they were many, and they were strong, and they had these fortified cities. It even speaks within the word that the sons of Anak, the sons of Anak were within the land. Now, the sons of Anak were considered giants. So you had these fortified cities, you had these great nations, you had these men tall in stature. Matter of fact, indication is Goliath himself was a descendant of Anak. So we see the obstacle that these men faced. Because of this, most of the spies were frightened, and because of that, they came back to Moses. They gave a bad report. They gave a negative report. They said that the people of Canaan were too great and that there was no hope, that there was no way that the Israelites could defeat them. Because of this, the, this caused great concern for the people of Israel. Now, there were two exceptions, and those two exceptions were two men by the names of Caleb and Joshua. They too, they were part of the ten spies who were sent out to look over the land. And while the eight gave a bad report, we know that these men gave a different report. They saw things very differently. Numbers 14, verse 6 says, And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. You see, they were in mourning because of what they had witnessed from the other spies. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. They weren't concerned about the people, but they acknowledged the blessings that were there. It says, If Yahweh delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey, now notice what they say. Notice the caution that they convey. It says only. It says don't do this. Don't rebel against Yahweh. Neither fear you the people of the land. They said here for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them. And Yahweh is with us. Fear them not. You know this is such a great example of faith and courage that we see within scripture. They understood the strength of Yahweh. You know, we were talking about David in the Bible study. And you know, as we mentioned in the Bible study, David had Yahweh's strength. David was not empowered by his own skill set. David was not strong because of who David was. David was strong because he understood and had faith in the one he worshipped. That is why David succeeded. And that is where David, David's strength was found. And we see the same thing true here about Joshua and this Caleb. They understood that nothing was beyond Yahweh's ability. They understood, even though they saw the same concerns as these eight spies. I'm sure they saw the fortified cities. 
I'm sure they saw the sons of Anak. I'm sure they saw how great the defense was of these cities. But as we see here, this did not shake them. This did not change their assessment. This did not change their courage and their belief that Yahweh would deliver the land. You see, the other spies allowed fear to dictate their response. And again, because of this, this caused unnecessary concern for the people. The people responded to the eight spies. The people responded because of the concern that these eight spies conveyed to Moses. But we see here that Joshua and Caleb, they were not afraid. They were not concerned. They understood one important truth, and that is if Yahweh be with you, nobody can be against you. And that's something I think is a lesson, it's a great lesson for us. If Yahweh be for us, nobody can be against us. You see, when we have Yahweh as our mighty one, it doesn't matter how big the obstacle is. It doesn't matter what the challenge is. It doesn't matter what issues we face. It doesn't matter what problems we encounter. That we have a mighty one that is able and capable of delivering us from them all. You know, for a moment, I want to consider the lessons we find here for us. You know, for the most part, we all have issues in this life, don't we? You know, we all have, maybe we, we have medical issues we deal with, or maybe we have uh, issues with, with at work, or maybe relationships, or who knows? We all have something we deal with in this life. I don't know of anybody here listening that is without issues, without problems, without something they have to deal with. So we all have something we have to deal with. You know, sometimes these issues can seem insurmountable. You know, the spies saw the people of Canaan. They're just too big. They're too much. But the lesson here from Joshua and Caleb is as applicable to us as it was to the Israelites of old. You know, as believers, we need to remember that there's no power greater in this universe than for Almighty Yahweh. You know, people can try to defy Yahweh, but if he wants something, if he desires something, if he wants something to happen in a certain way, it will happen. It does not matter the power behind it. It does not matter how strong the, the, uh, the, those who are who oppose it. You cannot defy the creator of this universe. So again, we need to remember who we worship. We need to remember who our mighty one is. And we need to have faith, as we see here from Joshua and Caleb, realizing that no matter how big the obstacle is, no matter what the challenge is, no matter how impossible the situation might seem, that we have a mighty one that can see us through. There is no enemy. There is no sickness. There is no problem that he cannot defeat. You know, as we see here, Joshua understood this message well. He told the Israelites here not to rebel against Yahweh through a lack of faith. He also told the people not to fear these Canaanites. Again, he realized the same concerns of the eighth spies. He saw the fortified cities. He saw that they were greater in stature. But again, for them, this was not an issue. Matter of fact, he says here that the people would be bred to them. What do you suppose he meant by that? The people would be bred to them. Israel would consume the people of Canaan. That's the message Joshua and Caleb was conveying to Israel. That no matter how big they are, no matter what stature they had, no matter how fortified their cities were, that the people would be bred, that they would consume the people of the land. You know, I think this example really illustrates Joshua's faith, his strength, his courage. 
He was a man of all these attributes. You know, no wonder why Yahweh chose this man to lead the people of Israel into the wilderness. He knew and understood that Israel would require courage and strength and unbending resolution. And we find that through this man called Joshua. In many ways, I don't believe anyone was better equipped for this task than this young man who was mentored by Moses. You know, he was a warrior leader. We talked about that this morning with with David, that David was a warrior leader, that he was a warrior king. Or same thing here with this man. Joshua was unrelenting in his faith. He was unrelenting in the commitment he had for the one he worshipped. And again, it reminds me a lot lot of David. You know, I remember, we all know the story, David and Goliath, and how Goliath was mocking the Israelites, just daring them to come down from that hillside. And David's a small David. I don't think there was anything real impressive about David's David's, uh, stature. David comes along and says that he's going to defeat this man named Goliath because he's going to come, it says, in the name of Yahweh. That's what scripture says, that he was coming in the name of Yahweh. It wasn't by his own power. It wasn't by his own stature. It wasn't by his own strength. Same thing true is is true here about Joshua. You know, as believers, this is one of those characteristics I I believe we should really uh, seek to apply, to be people of faith, to be people of courage. It's important to Yahweh. And you know, this is more important as the time becomes closer, I believe, to Yahshua's coming. I'm not one to predict dates or times. I don't know if it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now. But I do know that things are not getting better. And I do know that what I see in Scripture seems to be coming to pass. And I do believe that now is not the time to be asleep. Now is not the time to be negligent in our faith. Now is the time to be of good courage and to be serious and committed, as we see here through Joshua. You know, Yahweh doesn't want wimps. He's looking for a people who are willing to, to commit, who are willing to follow him, and who are willing to put him first, no matter what the odds Now, not only was Joshua brave, I think we also see examples where this man was just incredibly insightful. We see an example of this in Exodus 32. Exodus 32, 17 through 18 says, And when Joshua heard the noise, this is when they were coming down from the mount, when Israel had sold itself into idolatry. It says, And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, and and as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry out for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And that's, that was Moses' response. In this passage, again, is speaking about Israel's rebellion. When Moses and Joshua was on Mount Sinai receiving the commandments, because remember, Moses brought Joshua with him. He said, stay here while I go up and get the commandments. But he was there also on the mount when Moses was receiving the commandments. Whereas we know over time, the people became impatient. Many believe that Moses and Joshua were not coming back. They would not return. 
And eventually, for whatever reason, they persuaded Moses, or Aaron, I should say, to build a golden calf, to pour a golden calf representing Yahweh. You know, no, no doubt this uh, type of worship was learned during, during their time in Egypt. You know, as we know, the Egyptians worshipped a god named Apis. Apis was a, uh, depicted as a bull. He was the, the uh, son of Hathor, which was the deity of uh, music, love, and, and motherhood. So as we see here, as Moses and Joshua, they're coming down from the mount. And as they come down, they hear this noise. They hear this noise. Now notice the difference in how Joshua responds versus Moses. Joshua perceived the noise to be the sound of war. But we see here that Moses perceived the sound to be the sound of music. Now, in essence, they were both right. They were both right, but I believe Joshua's response was more spiritually perceptive. I believe that Joshua understood what was occurring within that camp. Yes, it was a noise of music, but more importantly, it was also the noise of rebellion and defiance because they were worshiping this golden image that they had no business worshiping. They were in defiance and opposition to Yahweh. Spiritually, it was a war against Yahweh. And however he understood, I believe Joshua understood that. I believe that Joshua understood that it wasn't simply the sound of music. It was the sound of war and defiance. You know, we see a great example of Joshua's insight here. He understood the bigger picture. He understood what was really happening within that camp, even, I believe, in, the, in this case, more so than Moses as we see in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul speaks about many gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and also Romans 12. But there in 1 Corinthians 12, one of the gifts is called the discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. And basically that means that we are able to discern, that we have the wisdom to discern in certain situations. You know, from what we see here, I believe that Joshua, he had this gift. He had the gift of discernment. He had this spirit of discernment, as we see within Scripture. You know, in fact, we see see this also in Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, in the sense that he had Yahweh's Holy Spirit. It says there in Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Notice that the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of insight. For Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened, unto him and did as Yahweh commanded Moses. So we see here that Joshua is full of the spirit of wisdom. Well, the wisdom, the the spirit here is referring to the Holy Spirit. Joshua had the Holy Spirit. For a moment, let me ask, what differences do we see between the Holy Spirit, between Old and New Testaments? Where, you know, we see in the Old that the Spirit was given in some cases. Certain people had the Spirit, Normally it was given for specific purposes. And as we see also in Acts 2, Yahweh's Spirit in the New Testament was, is poured out in a greater way today. We know that all those immersed in Yahshua's name were promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, since the Spirit was not given to everybody in the Old Testament, this adds to the significance of Joshua, who this man was, the fact that he had the Holy Spirit within him. 
the fact that he had the spirit shows also, the, the spirit of wisdom, I should say, shows also uh, the, the discernment and the, the blessings that Yahweh blessed this man with. You know, as we saw in the last example, this man really had a special insight, something that even Moses, at least is the, the one occurrence, seemed to lack. So again, we see that he did this through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, as a side note, we also see here how Joshua received the Holy Spirit. This is an important point. So I'll deviate for just a moment. It says here that Moses laid his hands upon Joshua. Moses laid his hands upon Joshua. This is how the Holy Spirit is imparted. We also see this, by the way, in Numbers 27, verse 18. The laying on of hands is how Yahweh imparts his spirit. This is also how he ordains and also imparts at baptism. You know, we see this throughout many, many examples. We see, of course, Moses here. He was anointed by Yahweh, laying his hands upon Moses. We see this. This was a function of the priests and also those ordained to the office of a of an elder in the New Testament. This is also why proper baptism, along with the laying on of hands, is so important. And again, this was always done by an ordained minister, and this is why it must be done by an ordained minister today. Now, as we also know, one of the reasons for Yahweh putting his wisdom upon this man in such a great way is that he would lead the Israelites into the promised land. Matter of fact, after the death of Moses, Yahweh relayed some crucial lessons. I want to share some of those lessons with you uh, in this message. I don't have this on the slide, so if you will, uh, turn with me or just you can listen. It doesn't matter. But Joshua chapter 1. And here in this passage, again, Yahweh communicates to this man and conveys some attributes that are important. It says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, it came to pass that Yahweh spoken to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead, and now therefore arise. Go over this Jordan, though thou and all this people, even the land which I give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not, be, shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not fail you, nor forsake you. You know, imagine... You know, Joshua was standing here hearing this promise, saying that as I was with Moses, as I supported Moses, as I was there to defend Moses, as I saw Moses through these obstacles, that I will do the same with you. I will not fail you. I will not let you down. What an incredible moment this must have been for this man. He says here in verse 6, Be strong. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land 
which I swore unto your, their fathers to give them. Only be you strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. You know, just as a side note, we believe in prosperity here, but we believe to prosper you have to follow Yahweh's word. Yahweh doesn't do it alone, and we don't certainly deserve anything in our own merit. He promises prosperity if they would follow him. It says, book, The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate, or they, you know, think upon this, therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then, shall thou shalt, and, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For Yahweh the Elohim is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So this was the encouragement Yahweh imparted to Joshua after the death of Moses. You know, we see two important attributes in this passage. The first one is courage. Yahweh told Joshua here to be a man of good courage and not to be afraid. Now the phrase, good courage, it comes from the Hebrew amatz. It's a primitive root within the Hebrew language, meaning to be alert physically, on foot, or mentally to be in good courage, mentally to be in good courage. King James translates this word as to confirm, to be courageous, to be of good courage, steadfastly minded, strong, stronger, establish, fortify, harden, increase, strengthen, and make strong. Amats. For Joshua, we know that courage was an absolute must. What he faced, what he would do, Courage was indispensable. You know, as a leader of Israel, he had the task of conquering the nations within the land of Canaan. You know, this is also an important lesson, I believe, for us as believers in the Messiah, especially, again, as Yahshua's coming becomes closer. You know, as we see in the Bible, in the tribulation, persecution will happen. You know, some people believe today that we're persecuted. I don't believe anybody here is persecuted. But I do believe that if the tribulation would come within our lifetime, that we will see and we will know, many of us, what persecution is. The Bible talks about some will die as a testimony to the faith. Some will give their life as a show of their commitment to Yahweh. This time will require courage and strength like nothing else. And again, this is why it's important that we understand and learn this lesson of Joshua, to be people of courage, not to fear, not to have doubt, not to run away, but to stand in boldness. The other lesson we find here is a value in obedience. Yahweh told Joshua here to obey the commandments, to obey the law. You know, contrary to what some might believe, the commandments are not just a set of do's and don'ts. Some people see the commandments as these things that are against mankind, that they're somehow negative, where the commandments are not just do's and don'ts, 
The commandments are certainly obligatory. The commandments are Yahweh's code of ethics and morality. This is Yahweh's code. This is how he defines right and wrong. You know, Paul in Romans 7 verse 12 says that the commandments are holy, just, and good. Now, I know many people out there that they believe that the commandments are no longer needed. That when Yahshua died on that tree, that he nailed them, and that he annulled them, and that his blood removed them. Where this is not what we find within Scripture. You know, it's good that we respect our mother and father, isn't it? It's good that we don't commit murder. It's good that we don't steal. It's good that we don't covet that which belongs not to us. And you know, that's a short list. Yahweh's commandments is for our benefit, is for our good, is for our prosper when we obey them. You know, as a nation, we know that when we obey the commandments, when we live in morality, we're a better nation. And for this reason, it was crucial for the Joshua himself that he would understand this obligation. You know, if a nation is a strong and moral leader, that nation is going to be blessed. You know, for many years, I think, in this nation, the leaders understood morality. They understood right from wrong. We don't see that today, though, for the most part. Politicians today, they don't express morality. Of course, you have the whole separation of church and state in this crazy concept that the morality we find within the Bible should be divorced from culture, and that's certainly not what we find throughout the history of this nation. And as we see here, when we as a nation obey Yahweh, when we live by his ethics and his morality, we will prosper as a nation. This is as true for us as it was for the Israelites of old. Matter of fact, I forget the name, but there was this French philosopher. He came to America, I think it was in the 1800s, to discover America's greatness. And he looked far and wide. He examined our political environment, our constitution. He examined academia. But it's not until he entered into the churches that he realized why America was great. And America was great because America was good. And America was good because America preached morality, preached repentance, preached ethics, or today that is no longer preached. And as a result, we're seeing the decline of this culture because people no longer want to preach morality. Today, we want to preach something other than what we find within Yahweh's word, more philosophy and sociology, and not the truth we find within Scripture. You know, this is also true of a, of a family. When we have a strong mother and father at home, that family is going to be blessed. That family is going to prosper. You know, I can't tell you as a minister how many family issues I've seen over the years. Just horrible situations. And it seems in every situation, the common denominator is that they have done something against Yahweh's word. You know, they've, they've done, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you know, whether it's drugs or, you know, something horrible. And, and uh, then they ask, you know, well, why, why is my marriage, why is whatever so in such bad shape? 
We know there's consequences when we leave Yahweh's word. And if we depart from Yahweh's word, there's going to be consequences and we will suffer. You know, we were talking about that in the Bible study this morning, about David. And uh, David's life, we all know about David's sins. He saw the woman Bathsheba, pursued that, eventually had her husband killed and murdered. And Yahweh told David after that that he says, the sword will never again depart from your family. He says, as you have done this to arrive the Hittite, you too will suffer. Now, Yahweh forgave David. And we know that David was a great man and he accomplished many wonderful things. But David's life was not perfect and David suffered when he went against the word. And the same is true for us today. You know, Yahweh doesn't change. Yahweh's word doesn't change. The way things work doesn't change. When a nation or a family follows the Bible, they're blessed. When a nation forsakes the Bible, they're not. Now, when speaking about Joshua, there's one passage that really stands out. You probably know what that one passage is. And I want to close, I believe, uh, today with uh, Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24, 14 through 15 says, Now, therefore, fear Yahweh and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the mighty ones which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve you Yahweh. And if it seem evil unto you to serve Yahweh, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the mighty ones which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the mighty ones of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, in my house... We will serve Yahweh. You know, if anything sums up this man's character, his virtue, who he was, is what we find here. It's the message we find here. He begins by telling Israel to fear Yahweh. Now, the word fear comes from the Hebrew Yareh, again, a primitive root within the Hebrew language. And it means to fear morally, to revere, cause to frighten. You know, I believe both the definitions apply here. I believe as a people we need to reverence the one we worship, but I also believe that we need to fear the one we worship. When it comes to our relationship with Yahweh, both apply. We need to do both. You know, Paul, Paul in the New Testament said that we were to work out our own salvation, he says. And he explains how we're to do that. Paul says that we're to work out our own salvation, he says, in fear and trembling. Now, there's many people out there that they say we shouldn't fear our maker. We shouldn't fear Yahweh. We shouldn't fear the one we worship. We should only reverence and show respect. Or Paul says, again, that we should work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. Trembling. It's not a reverence, not only. I mean, certainly we should revere the one we worship. We should we shouldn't be in awe of the one we worship. But it needs to be more than that. We need to fear the one we worship. It's very important that we do this. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that we fear our maker? You know, the fear of Yahweh, I believe, is what restrains the human nature. You know, we all have our carnal nature. Paul speaks about this in Galatians. He speaks about how our flesh and our spirit war against one another, how they're in opposition to one another. You know, our flesh wants to do this, and Yahweh's spirit wants to do that. And sometimes it's a battle within. And it's that fear of Yahweh that prevents us sometimes 
from crossing that line. And I believe so many of the problems we see in our nation is from a lack of fear. The vast majority in this nation, they don't no longer fear their creator. You know, you would go down the street and take a survey and ask, how many, do, do, do you fear, are you frightened of your creator? I would say very few would say yes. And because of this, we've seen a breakdown in morality. Let me give you some examples. You know, the concept of holy matrimony used to mean something. When we got married, we stayed together. We understood that marriage was for life, not something we can just throw away and start again. This is also true of what we're seeing now in the transgender movement. You know, we're in real trouble when we can't tell a man from a woman. The same is also true for the homosexual movement. Yahweh says this is an abomination. You know, I'm not, never one to claim to be politically correct, and I hope never to be politically correct. If Yahweh calls something an abomination, that's a big deal. Yahweh doesn't use that term loosely. You know, some people have this notion that all sin is the same. Well, that's not what we find in Scripture. Not all sin is the same. Not all sin is equal. And Yahweh calls certain sins an abomination. In Hebrew, the word abomination means to loathe or to abhor. Yahweh abhors these sins. And because we've thrown his word out, because we refuse to recognize that Yahweh's word has a place in this culture, we've seen a degradation of morality like never before. But again, I believe all of this really is the root cause of, of a lack of fear. We don't fear. You know, years ago, I had a good friend years ago, and I worked with Modot. He was a Roman Catholic and a great guy and obviously did not agree with everything theologically, but, but he was old school. And when it came to morality, we agreed on most things. And he says, you know, he, he's probably in his, I don't know, late 60s maybe now. He retired years ago. But he says, you know, when I was a kid in the church, he said, I heard all we heard is brimstone, you know, this, 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 this repentance and, and uh, this, uh, you know, judgment. And he says, we don't hear that anymore. It's all about grace and faith and, and how Yahweh loves us and, you know, so on and so forth. And, and, you know, certainly he loves us. I mean, we need to preach Yahweh's love. But we need to also balance that and recognize that there is a fear of Yahweh. And if we do not recognize, there's going to be trouble ahead. You know, the book of Proverbs says a lot about the fear of Yahweh. I want to read or refer to a few of them. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. I don't have this on the slides. If you want to take notes, that's fine. But Proverbs 1, verse 7 says that the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 8, verse 13 says that the fear of Yahweh is to hate evil. Proverbs 10, verse 27 says that the fear of Yahweh prolongs our days. You see, when we allow the fear of Yahweh to determine what we do in part, that we restrain our carnal man, and that will prolong our days. Proverbs 14, verse 26 says that in the fear of Yahweh, there is a strong confidence. Very important. Proverbs 14, verse 27 says that the fear of Yahweh is a fountain of life, because again, when we fear the one we worship, we obey the one we worship, and we are blessed because we obey the one we worship. And Proverbs 19, verse 23 says that the fear of Yahweh tends or leads to life. Again, because it restrains us. It keeps us on that straight and narrow. It keeps us from forsaking what's most important. And that is our commitment to the one we worship. You know, Joshua, he understood this lesson well. This is why 
he imparted this message to Israel. Now he goes on here to say that we should serve Yahweh in sincerity and truth. Now the word sincerity comes from the Hebrew tamim. King James translates this word as without a blemish, complete, full, perfect, sincerely or sincerity, without spot, undefiled, upright or uprightly, and whole. So the lesson here is this. When we serve our Father in heaven, we need to go all the way with his truth. In other words, we can't be like that Laodicean assembly. You know, remember what Yahshua told the Laodicean assembly? He said, because you are lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. He also said there that, he says, I'd rather that you're hot or cold, but not lukewarm. You see, Yahweh wants us to go all the way with his word or do nothing at all. That's the way he works. You know, so many people, they like to dabble. They like to go halfway. They like to do things as long as it's comfortable to them, as long as maybe it fits what they're doing within their life. No, Yahweh comes first and everything else comes afterwards. Yahweh is that priority. He will not accept dabblers. He will not accept somebody who is lukewarm or goes only partial way. So we see in this passage two important lessons. Number one, to fear Yahweh. And number two, to follow him with all sincerity, meaning fully and without a blemish. Now at the end here, Joshua tells the people to choose between Yahweh and these false mighty ones of the nations. You know, this reminds me of when Elijah or Eliah told the people to choose which one they were going to serve. You know, during that time, you had Israelites serving both Yahweh and this Baal. So Elijah tells the people, you know, how long will you stand between two opinions? How long will you stand trying to serve both Yahweh and, and Baal? He says, no, he says, you choose. You choose. Are you going to follow Yahweh or are you going to follow this pagan deity? Now, we all know the story. We know that Elijah comes along, defeats the prophets of Baal, all 400 of them, and in the end they are killed and Yahweh prospers and the people then return to him. You know, in some ways, we here at YRM are conveying this same message. Now, the one big difference is is uh, we, we generally speak out against the pagan traditions we find in nominal worship. But in essence, we're all communicating the same message, and that is that we're to follow Yahweh, that we're to follow our Father in heaven, and not the traditions of man. You know, it's amazing to see how far traditional worship has gone. I think so, if someone like Paul came along and went to a church, well, first off, he probably wouldn't find many because he'd be worshiping on Sabbath, not Sunday, but if you go into a church, he would just be amazed and dumbfounded as to what he was hearing. Because so much of what we see is not what we find within Scripture. And Scripture is what we should be pursuing, not tradition. Joshua closes here by saying, but as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. You know, this is one of the most powerful and inspirational verses I believe we find in all of Scripture. And hopefully something we all share in common. Over the years, I've learned 
that we can't force anybody to do anything. You know, I've been part of groups where they try to force their members to do something. Well, we don't do that here. If it's not within their heart to do, there's nothing I or anybody else can do to change that person. They must want, they must desire to change. It's not for us to force it upon them. This is, again, why Paul says to work out your own salvation. I tell people all the time, look, it's not my responsibility to do it for you. No more is it your responsibility to do it for me. The fact is we're all responsible individually for what we do. And we will stand before the judgment seat individually. We will stand alone to give an account, as, as we hear often, as we say here, that you know, we can't bring our minister or our pastor our friend, and say, you know what, I don't know, but this guy can explain it to you much better than I can. We're not going to be in that position. We're going to have to give an answer. And that's why it's also important that we study to show ourselves approved. The Bereans is such a great example because, you know, I, I, I say often, the Bereans could have just taken Paul's word for what he was saying, but, but the Bereans did not do that. What we find in scripture is that the Bereans listen to Paul, and then it says, then they search the scriptures out daily. So you know what? We encourage everybody here to do the same thing. Don't take our word for it. Don't believe me or whoever else is standing behind this pulpit. Prove it out. And you know, as long as we're searching for the truth, there should be nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. And we have nothing to hide here because we are all searching and striving to live by what we find within scripture. So here we find the lessons, I believe, in the life of Joshua. We can't earn salvation. We can't forsake Yahweh's word. We must live it. We must live it and be found worthy of it. Now, the other lesson we see here is that Joshua led by example. You know, regardless of what the people did, Joshua, along with his family, were resolute in their faith. Nothing was going to pull them away from the commitment they had. I really believe that the nation of Israel could have gone astray, but Joshua would have held strong. Joshua would not have departed. Joshua would not have forsaken the commitment that he made to Yahweh. And, you know, I think, again, this is an example for us, that we're to lead by example, that we're to be resolute, that no matter what people are doing around us, that we are to do what's right, and we're to, we're to serve as that moral compass. You know, Joshua was an incredible man, one who was totally committed to the one he worshipped. He embodied courage, strength, faith, devotion, and serves as an example for us today. Where well, I pray that as believers we look at the examples of Joshua, we understand this man, we understand the value this man brings to us, and like him, that we commit our lives to Almighty Yahweh, and that we like him, be people of courage and faith and fortitude. May Yahweh bless you.